Welcome to Hey YA. From great new books to favorite classic reads, from news stories to the latest in on-screen adaptations, Hey YA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a book riot podcast hosted by Erica Azafetti and B. Tirza Price. We are recording on May 19th, 2022. Hello, Erica. Hey, how are you? I'm great. How about you? I'm doing pretty well. You know, just hanging in there. Things are on fire, but here we are. Yes, things indeed are on fire. Um, yes. Speaking of which, um, our news for today, we've got two news pieces. Um, one sort of like serious and then one kind of good piece of news. Um, but like right now, probably right as we are recording, the Subcommittee on Civil Rights and Civil Liberties is holding a hearing about the series of book bannings that are sweeping the nation. Um, they are looking specifically at how kids and teens' civil rights and civil liberties are being attacked when classrooms and schools ban books. Um, So love that for us. Love that this, you know, Congress is trying to do something about it, knock on wood, because, you know, this is a serious issue. This is like congressional hearing level issue. Mm -hmm. So Representative Jamie Raskin um, brought the issue to the committee's attention. Um, I'm pretty sure he is the um, chair of that subcommittee. Educators, parents, professors, activists will be speaking at the hearing today. And um, Representative Raskin's office also reached out to Christina um, Sundtornvat, who is the Newbery Award-winning author of many books. Um, and she put together a letter of support of intellectual freedom from children's and YA authors that will be entered into congressional record this week. Um, she wrote a wonderful letter and she collected over 1,300 signatures from children's book writers and illustrators, um, including myself. I happily signed that letter. Nice. You can read that letter, yeah, at the We Need Diverse Books blog and we'll link it in the show notes. So, um, not really sure what's going to come of this hearing, but hopefully we'll just kind of like raise more attention. Um, we have a news article about that that we'll also link. And then, you know, Christina also told us authors um, as she was, you know, going through this process of collecting signatures, um, which was a huge undertaking on her part. So like, thank you so much to her. But um, she said that she spoke to one of the house staffers about like, hey, what can authors do? And I think his response for us authors is also applicable to everybody who's listening to the show, which is show up to your local school board meetings and just make your voice heard. Um, you know, we're all really busy. We're all really tired. But the side that is trying to ban books is super organized and they are investing gobs and gobs and gobs of time to this issue. And so if we can't like make time to fight this, like they're going to win. So mm-hmm. go to board meetings, write your trustees. Um, if you need some, you know, ideas about like language to use, Book Riot has an amazing resource and toolkit for fighting book banning borrow you know some of the language from christina's letter on we need diverse books like yeah we we gotta we gotta fight this so that is today's sort of serious news do you want to give us our happy news i certainly do and i will just add to that too if you're unaware of like the status of your library and like how things are going um because you know, before I started working at a library, um, I love libraries and I would go and visit and, you know, borrow books, just the whole whatever regular thing to do. But I didn't really know what was going on. I think now is a really good time if you're not aware of it to start going to like um, whatever board meetings are available and, 
get the newsletter and just kind of find out what's going on. Because like you said, Tirza, the people who are trying to essentially like destroy libraries and only have a very select kind of material in them, um, they have, I don't know how, but they have all the time. And yeah. They're prepared and they're organized and they're kind of ahead of us in ways because we have not been doing this. We just kind of been, you know, trying to make it. Um, <laughs> but they've been we're doing reacting. this for me. We're reacting yeah. and they are, yeah, they we're reacting to some stuff that has been in the works with them for a while. So just saying like, I think now's a great time for everyone to just like, if you're not used to it, if you haven't heard anything bad about your library, still just like kind of like check in with them and see what's going on. Um, board yeah. meetings. And you can read those meeting minutes online. Like they're like every public library is required by law to post their meeting minutes online um, or post them within the library. So if you can't go to the meetings, you can still see what's going on in those meetings. Yeah. And if you don't like something, again, we do have like if you feel like it's going towards it's starting to feel like censorship or something like that. Speak up, write to your representatives. Um, like Teresa said, we have, you know, templates and letters that you can borrow language from and stuff like that. But now I feel like now is the perfect time to become involved with a library because it's such a, an important resource for so many people. But yes, so I'm happy to see there were, I saw some of the hearing, there were like teenagers who came from different parts and they were testifying and stuff. So there is hope and all that good stuff. Um, but for some more positive news, uh, this positive news goes in line with our topic today, which is graphic memoirs. So we're going to talk about graphic novel memoirs. And Colin Kaepernick is going to release a YA graphic memoir. So, Woo-hoo. yes. I'm excited for this. Yes, very excited. I don't follow the sports ball, Tirza. <laughs> Neither do I. So <laughs> I know him very well, obviously, but I don't know what he's doing these days. I don't I remember they like, I feel like the NFL, because he was kneeling and protesting before it was cool. Let's be real. Yeah. got like cool for a second. Well, if that's the right word, trendy, I guess. So I know they like didn't they fired him or I don't think fired they didn't like a team didn't hire him. Like I said, I'm not familiar with the NFL like that. But I haven't been hearing from him much and I don't follow him, but he will be releasing this. It is um gonna be published by Scholastic Graphics and it will be called Colin Kaepernick Changed the Game. Should be coming out next year and it's supposed to explore the story of how a young change maker learned to find himself, make his own way, and never compromise. I'm just reading straight from the uh, press release, by the way. Yeah. The book will be co-written with Eve L. Ewing and illustrated by Orlando Caicedo. So it will cover Kaepernick's senior year of high school. Awesome. Yes. Yeah, he has it. I just, I literally Googled this. Um, while you were talking, he hasn't played in the NFL for like six years. That um, sounds since about sixteen. Yeah, that sounds about like when they were mad at him. Yeah, and that's basically why. Um, yeah. And I think he, you know, and this is just according to ESPN, he'd be willing to go back, but not unless they are 
nicer to him about kneeling, um, which I don't see happening anytime soon, sadly. But he he's been really busy. Like he's got this book coming out. He's had a picture book come out. He launched his own publishing imprint. So he's really doing a lot of amazing work. And okay. um, I I hope that it's fulfilling for him and that he's you know seeing some positive feedback from that because. The man has seen enough abuse in this lifetime, for sure. Yes, he's booked and busy. I'm not mad. I'm not yeah. mad at that. But that's really cool. So that'll be something fun. I added one other thing for us to mention for news. And this is just more of like a call to action. But We Need Diverse Books is doing a like, uh, they're sending care packages to LGBTQIA plus teens, kids and teens. And within each package, we'll have like a book centering queer characters and then like some cute little knickknacks and paddywax, like temporary tattoo bookmarks, stuff like that. You can donate if you're interested. You know, there are different amounts. There's, we're going to include a link. So there's that. I just wanted to include that real quick. Perfect. All right. We're going to hear from another sponsor and then we'll get back to our topic of the day. Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Horizon, publisher of Walk, Ride, Paddle. Walk, Ride, Paddle is a captivating memoir of Senator Tim Kaine's physical journey through the Virginia wilderness, but it is also a unique and ultimately optimistic perspective on these pivotal moments in history, offering inspiration, wisdom, and hope. With immediacy and honesty, Kaine pulls back the curtain to reveal his inner thoughts during such monumental times. And Kane's storytelling gift and wise observations offer a fascinating glimpse into the mind of a seasoned politician and outdoor enthusiast. Walk, Ride, Paddle is available everywhere audiobooks are sold on April 9th. It is narrated and written by Tim Kaine, Virginia Senator and former Democratic vice presidential candidate. It's a compelling account of one man's journey across hundreds of miles of Virginia wilderness and a moving testament to the optimistic spirit of America. So make sure to check out Walk, Ride, Paddle by Tim Kaine. And thanks again to Harper Horizon, publisher of Walk, Ride, Paddle, for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books, and so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players, but what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive, even the help of Guillén Santangel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at LeeBardugoTheFamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo for sponsoring this episode. All right. So, why graphic memoirs? I think you came up with this idea and I'm really excited about it. Yeah, it was a and I've been reading a lot of like comics and graphic graphic novels lately. I've been getting into it more and I liked I like them too because uh sometimes I don't have my attention span is not there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I need some pictures. 
Darn it. It's good. I I love the artwork. I love the creativity. Mm-hmm. I love, like, it's so interesting to see the interplay between, like, words and pictures. Yes. And, like, you, you think that, like, okay, yeah, that, you know, the, the form is the form, but, like, the endless creativity and how authors tell stories and using that interplay is always really interesting but i also hear you about like needing a really quick read like it's hammock season for me Mm. and i totally picked up one of my picks and i went out and like i read it in one sitting in the hammock while my dog you know played in the backyard and i was like yes this is the life so this is good not to say that's the only thing, of course, <laughs> um, that I like. I think I'm just saying that, too, because I read one of the books I'm going to talk about. I read it really quickly, so quickly. I didn't even I was like, oh, that's it. I was like, I read this in like 30 minutes. Not it was longer than 30 minutes. But um, I also just did a um, an extra credit episode that talked about manga slash anime. And just to your point, Tirza, about like the form and the artwork and everything like that. It's interesting because with the, so let's say the manga that I read, some of them I, most of them I watched the anime first. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of had a, you know, had an, an idea of how the animation looked when it would move. Um, and then I read the manga because I, uh, and for those of you who are unfamiliar, manga is just comics. It means comic books in Japanese, basically. Drawings, whatever, basically. Um, so I would watch basically the animation and then I would watch, uh, read, sorry, the manga because I was impatient about the rest of the show coming out. And it's interesting because like when I think back to certain like story arcs or whatever that I read in the manga, when I think back to them, I actually picture them as if I had seen them in the anime. And I was like, oh, wait, I didn't see that in the anime. But like, just like you were saying, like, how the artwork is drawn, the dynamic between, you know, words and pictures and everything, I was able to kind of like play it and, you know, visualize it in my mind. And it was as if, like, looking back, it was as if I had seen it. If that, does that make sense? <laughs> no, no, it makes sense. But that's just the thing. I was like, wait, I didn't see that. It's just a thing I noticed lately. I was like, oh, I did not see that. On the TV, I actually got it. But yeah, so I've been having a great, a grand old time with um, graphic novels and stuff like that. Yeah. The the first one I'll talk about, Huda F. Are You? (laughs) Best title. By Huda Fami. Best, I was like, first of all, best title ever. Perfect title. Um, Her name is actually Huda. So... Huda is a Muslim girl. She wears a hijab. And the art style in this graphic novel is, it's very, like, cartoony. Like, I could see it being, oh, I feel like I want to say it's another kind of style. Um, But it's not coming to me at the moment. But it's very, like, uh, like a playful cartoon. And it's really funny. It's a really quick, quick read, and it's really funny. But um, Huda is a teen girl. Her parents are, uh, they immigrated from Egypt and she wears a hijab. All the women in her family wear a hijab. And she basically talks about trying to discover who she is. And it gets really funny. She, you know, references pop culture and stuff like that. And she talks about like her parents, like their dreams and their hopes and stuff for 
her and her sisters. And she also talks about how she used to be the only hijabi, like the only girl wearing a hijab, before they moved to a new town. And now she's like one among many. And it's interesting, that's when she kind of has like her identity crisis in a way, because it's like, before her identity was that she was the Muslim girl who wore the hijab. Um, But now she's amongst other girls who wear hijabs. So she kind of has to figure out like what actually makes her different from the rest. So she finds out that she doesn't really know, like she knows she's good at school. And her one of her sisters, the like the cool one, there's always like the cool fashionable one. One of her sisters is like, that's not a personality trait, sis. Like, do better. <laughs> <laughs> like, who are you really? And um, what I like about this, apart from it being like genuinely funny sometimes, is that she's willing to be real about like her internalized self, like self-hate. And how she kind of sold her mother out once. Like her mother came because the teachers that she's showing in here are just terrible. Just, let's just say that. Like they pronounce her name incorrectly all the time, almost like on purpose. There was a teacher they had. Um, she was in an advanced like AP language class, I believe. And the teacher there gave them an assignment of like how... Islam is inherently violent or something like that. And there were just like a lot of microaggressions coming from a lot of her teachers and she handled them well. But anyway, so when the teacher did that, her mom came to the school with her and they spoke to the principal and the principal was like, okay, I want to hear from Huda, like what happened. And Huda was like, oh, my mom is exaggerating. You know how moms are. English is not her first language. So she didn't understand what I was saying and everything's totally okay. And I was like, oh, wow, you sold your mom out for what? I don't know. But I just, I like that it's, it's honest with that. And it's honest with like the microaggressions. It's honest about all those things. And it still manages to be, to have like lightheartedness to it and be like fun um, and funny and it was it was just a fun little quick read. I would love to read. I don't know if I don't think this is a series, but if this was like a little series, it would be super cute and fun. And I would pick up the next one. Um, that is Huda F R U by Huda Fami. That sounds fantastic. I have mm-hmm. it on my um, shelf, and it has been there for a while. Yeah, you should read it. It's super quick to read. It's a super quick read. Ah, uh, sounds so good. Um, so my first pick today. And okay, wait before I say that. I just want to mention that I feel like there's not a ton of, like, prose YA memoirs floating around out there. Like, yes, they are being published, but, like, not as many as, like, you know, YA graphic memoirs. So I feel like if you're looking for memoir in the YA category, graphic memoirs are really awesome. And they've been doing a lot of amazing, cool work of sharing a lot of awesome stories. So just wanted to say that. Mm -hmm. For sure. One graphic memoir that I read mm, two years ago now, maybe last year, I can't remember, um, Almost American Girl by Robin Ha. Have you read this? I've started. I didn't finish it. Not because it wasn't good, but because I'm easily distracted and I had something else to read. Totally understandable. So this one has a very intriguing premise. So Robin grew up in Seoul with a single mom, and when she was like 14, um, her mom said to her, hey, we're going to the U.S. for a vacation. 
Um, we're going to be there for like, you know, three weeks or so. So like, you know, pack your bags. And so Robin's like, okay, we're going on vacation. And they get to the U.S. and she immediately realizes that something is not quite right. Um, And her mom says, oh, this is my American boyfriend that I met online. We live here now. Oh, my God. (laughs) And she legit, like, just moved Robin from Seoul to, I think it was, like, Alabama. It was somewhere in the South. Yeah. And was like, yep, this is where we live. This is my new boyfriend. We're, like, going to get married eventually. And we're not going back. And... So Robin was, like, incredibly betrayed because, you know, one cannot simply just move to a different country without, like, planning out visas and, yeah. and like, seriously planning the stuff out. And her mom did all that without telling her. And so she was angry at her mom. She was incredibly betrayed. She did not speak English very well. Like, she'd taken some English classes but was not, like proficient to just kind of go around and attend high school and speak without having some, you know, language barriers. And her mom's boyfriend was kind of a not so nice guy. Um, So she is starting school. She's having a hard time. Um, She's really angry at her mom. And um, along the way, she discovers art. And her mom is kind of desperate for her to adjust and be happy. And so she sees that Robin is interested in art. And she kind of moves heaven and earth to get her drawing lessons, especially like, particularly like comic drawing lessons. And that is like the first chance that Robin has at like actually making real friends in the US and connecting with other people, um, which is really important because eventually her mom does realize that her boyfriend really sucks and they have to make a change. So this was just a really, really fascinating book about like a parent doing something that on the outset seems pretty unforgivable. But at the end of the book, Robin has a lot deeper perspective about like why her mom made the choices that she did. Um, it's a really great like mother daughter book about, yeah, just like navigating that relationship, especially in the face of like great betrayal <laughs> yeah. and also how somebody like how intimidating it is to like move to the US and not know, you know, the language well. It's not like, because I also think like, you know, you can watch American movies and, you know, consume American media, but then it really depends where you land in the US as to like whether or not you understand the culture. So it was a huge culture shock for her, even though she was familiar with some Americanized things. She couldn't even like prepare herself. Like when you know you're going to move to a country, you might start watching more American media, you know, practice your English. Yeah. She didn't even, she didn't even get to say goodbye to her friends. And that's what really wrecked her. And she also, because she thought she was going on vacation, there were things that she left at home that um, she didn't get to take with her that she would have taken with her if she had known that they were staying. I don't know if it's a spoiler, but I, I, like I said, I hadn't finished the book, but I am wondering why did her mother do that? Like, why didn't she just say we're moving to the U.S.? Um, okay, so if you want to avoid spoilers for this book, skip ahead because I'm I will explain this. Um, essentially, as you get deeper into the book, you find out that as a child, Robin did not understand the extent to which like her mother was her single motherhood was stigmatized in Seoul, mm. and her mom went to incredible lengths to 
conceal that from Robin and to kind of like make her childhood seem as normal as possible, even though she didn't have a dad. Um, and it's not like her dad died or anything. Like her mom just never married her father mm-hmm. and her father was never a part of her life. So there were some seriously like messed up things that were going on that her mom, like her, her elementary school teacher was blackmailing her mom because um, her teacher was treating her poorly because she was the child of a single parent Mm -hmm. and her mom was like paying off the teacher to you know not be horrible to robin in school but like robin still could kind of sense like this teacher hated her so like there was a lot of like just levels of really crappy things that were happening and um her mom truly believed that moving to the u.s would be a good thing for them but she also believed that robin wouldn't see it that way and she so she was just like we'll just go and then like once we're there robin will come around I guess she was right. Which I think was a hard thing. Yeah, it was a hard thing for Robin to, like, reconcile with. And, um, you know, there's a really great epilogue where she goes back to Korea and she kind of reconciles, you know, growing up there versus then, you know, becoming more Americanized and what her life would have been like if she um, hadn't left. But, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was really interesting. And she also has a really great afterword in which she talks about her relationship with her mom and how it has evolved over the years. So definitely a really fascinating book. Yeah. It sounds really good. So the next one I have to talk about is They Called Us Enemy by George Takei and Justin Isinger and Stephen Scott. And this is about George Takei of Star Trek fame. I remember following him. He used to have really cute posts on like some social, probably Facebook, maybe Instagram. It was Facebook, yes. It was Facebook. Like, okay. <laughs> I love that you know. Like, circa 2012, he yes. was really charming on Facebook. Exactly. That's exactly when. So we were we were both there on Facebook looking at George Takei posts because I was like, there were, he was really cute. Like, he was precious on there. I don't know what he's doing these days, but he was super cute on there. And I remember he used to talk about... We used to talk about his experiences, um, you know, being queer and also um, with the Japanese internment camps. So his graphic memoir is about that time when, you know, during World War II, after um, Pearl Harbor was bombed by Japanese military, they basically rounded up all the Japanese people who were American citizens. So this is about that experience. And um, the art is really nice. There's no color, but it's very expressive. It's still kind of like, it's not a realistic style, but it's still like very expressive and it expresses, um, you know, sadness and like a full range of emotions. I say that in contrast to like um, the Huda book, which is like just super cartoony and bright and, you know, very much like um, round figures and stuff. This one is more realistic than that. And so it starts off with, like I said, talking about Pearl Harbor. And then it shows how he and his family, he's a child at this point. And he is, it's his father, his mother, his brother, and little sister, his baby sister. It opens with them banging on the doors to them being the U.S. military to extract them from their homes, like take them out and take them to these basically concentration camps. And so it starts with that, but then it goes to the buildup. And the buildup, like before that came, it talks about how, you know, his parents, 
his dad believed in democracy. Like he went to school. He was, he had like a dry cleaning business. His mom, his mom was actually born in California, but her dad sent her to Japan for school because her dad didn't want her to experience segregation. So I thought that was interesting. And it shows the buildup, like after Pearl Harbor is attacked, it shows the certain policies that U.S. officials are making and things that are being signed. And it's giving some background to um, like it has maps showing like the military area and it's starting to show like how people are treating like how white Americans are treating Japanese people, like just trying to buy things from them. Um, Japanese people are slowly but surely being forced to vacate where they live, vacate their businesses. They're forced to sell them off for pennies compared to what they're worth. There's, you know, there are slurs and stuff that are painted on walls. And so, as I said before, it started off with the military coming to his parents' door. Um, and then it kind of does a little background. And then it goes back to when the um, military came to his parents' door. And he was like, okay, so at a certain point, it was our turn to leave. And they just showed up one day and they were like, okay. You know, his father answered the door. They're like, okay, you have to go. You have to come with us. And his father was like, well, can I get my kids? Can I get my wife? And they said, you have 10 minutes. So it's like, you have 10 minutes to leave everything that you have behind. And you have three children and a wife. And it's, you know, unbelievable that this happened within, it wasn't even that long. It was like in the 40s. He's still alive. So it's just like, it's infuriating and it's unbelievable, but... This does a good, such a good job of, he lived it. So it's like, oh, just imagining going through that, especially as a child, there were certain things like, okay, they made them, they made the Japanese people. And again, I say Japanese people, I mean, people of Japanese descent, they're American citizens. They, they had a thing where farmers of Japanese descent were required to keep working and but their profits were going to someone else before they were made to leave the farm. So I was just like, okay, interesting. That's called slavery, but okay. They gave them these tags with their names on them and like a number, kind of like what you would put on like luggage in an airport, but like in the 40s or whatever, that version of that. And he said how he thought that was just like a, like a train ticket at first. Um, but then he looked back on it and he was like, it was like to tag them. And it's very, it's so interesting when like, no matter the time period or the country, I feel like so many people, um, express like hate in similar ways. And I say that in, within this context, um, with mentioning his name tag, because it's like, you know, they start to dehumanize people and treat them like animals. So the name tag is one example. Another example, and I didn't know this, is that they moved, at least his family, they got moved to horse stables um, to live. And it was like they cleaned out the horse stables and they put like cots in there, like beds or like, you know, little foldable beds or whatever. But it still smelled like a horse stable. So it was just like really dehumanizing um, and just unsanitary. His little sister got sick. There are many things. I just wanted to mention a couple 
like tangible examples of the dehumanization process that they went through. And yeah, I think this is just a really great book for, it just puts you there. It is so hard to believe sometimes. <laughs> yeah. The terrible history, honestly. It, again, I, I, I do believe it and I do know it. And I've said before how I shouldn't, like even myself, I shouldn't separate terrible history from the present day because it clearly has its place in the present day, as we know. Um, but it is just so mind boggling that the whole country was like, yeah, this is what we're going to do. This is the thing to do. This is what we're going to do. Let's do this. But yes, it is very good. Highly recommend it. Of course, there are times of joy and stuff like that, but with Japanese culture, what little I know of it, I know there are, there are, you know, they look at like shame and different things differently from like, I guess those of us in the West. So I know this topic has not always been talked about a lot, but this is really good to see that perspective. And um, especially from someone like George Takei, who is just, you know, like he's just a natural entertainer. He's an entertainer. So it's done really well. And it's a really good read. So again, that is They Called Us Enemy by George Takei. Awesome. I'm going to go to our next sponsor and then we'll be back. Today's episode is brought to you by Unchipped, the most epic dystopian science fiction adventure series that you've probably never heard of. And bonus points because it's Finnish. And when's the last time you read a Finnish dystopian science fiction novel? Right. Okay. So in this one, humanity is destroying itself as a city's burn, which sounds kind of familiar. It is the time of the great affliction. In this terrible world, a new hope arises. The happiness program, which is the creation of a Finnish pharmaceutical genius, Dr. Laura Solomon. With happiness, pills, mind mapping, and microchips, Dr. Solomon intends to build a new world for the worthy few, which sounds like a perfect plan and nothing could go wrong, right? Right. So this is a raw but fun dystopian sci-fi adventure with an unusual premise describing what happens when technology rules humanity. Either you're chipped living inside the AR society or you're left outside to barely survive. Make sure to check out Unchipped by Taya DeVere. And thanks again to Unchipped, the most epic dystopian science fiction adventure series that you probably never heard of for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Entangled Publishing's Red Tower Books, publisher of the smash hit Fourth Wing. You'll only cross these blades once in a page-turning new tale of revenge strategy and so many lies. Best-selling Red Tower Books is releasing its next year's will read that will capture your imagination and keep you guessing until the end. May Corlin's Five Broken Blades tells an intricate high-stakes tale of five total strangers united in a plot that will test their strength, wits, and courage. Each has their reasons, all have secrets. But while it's easy to portray a stranger, it's not so simple to stab a friend or a lover, okay, in the back. Now these five blades must choose between vengeance and one another. Pick up five broken blades by Mae Corlin for a thrilling, adventurous tale filled with risk, romance, adventure, and oh, so many lies. The relationships in it are complex and nuanced and involve everything from friends to enemies found in biological family and lovers and more. Thanks again to Entangled Publishing's Red Tower Books, publishers of the smash hit Fourth Wing for sponsoring this episode. 
All right, so my next pick is really, you know, very relevant considering everything that we're talking about at the top of the episode about book bannings. Um, It is a memoir called Banned Book Club by Kim Hyun Suk, and it is her story of being a college student in 1980s Korea, um, South Korea. She, you know, lived with her family. They owned a restaurant. Um, They didn't have a ton of money, but she dreamed of going to college. So she applied to college and her mom was kind of against it, but her father was um, sort of secretly and quietly supportive of her. So she went to the local college and the prevailing sort of attitude at the time, at least among her parents, but among a lot of adults was like, why would you go to college? Like people don't go there to learn. They go to like get involved in communism and the protests because at this point in time, in South Korea's history, um, they had a president slash dictator, and it was a lot of students that were um, protesting him. And, you know, the way it's kind of explained in the book is that the students felt like they were the only ones that were willing to speak up and say, hey, this is wrong, because their parents' generation was so downtrodden from having gotten used to this dictator for so many years. And the students were like, no, we're, we're going to really speak out. So, um, Hyung Suk really just wanted to go and get an education. She wanted to study English literature, um, but very quickly she became involved in this banned book club and they would read books that were like truly banned, like they were illegal to have in this country at this time. And she would go to a bookstore that would kind of keep them off the shelf and they would photocopy bits and pieces of these books. And some of them were like, you know, not books that you would think would be Bands Like you might expect like, oh, the Communist Manifesto would be banned. But, <laughs> yes, um, for example. Other, for example, but like other books like Nathaniel Hawthorne and, right. um, you know, just anything that kind of um, spoke to a Western influence was very suspicious. So at first, um, you know, Hyun Suk's like, no, 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 no. I, I don't want to get arrested or seem like I'm one of those cool protesters. I just want to study. And so this is a really beautiful book about how, like, nothing is apolitical mm. and about how she has to learn that, like, just her mere, just the mere act of demanding an education for herself is political mm. and that she can't be going to the school and ignore, like, politically what's going on. And so she does kind of sort of overcome that fear of being – I mean, I, I don't think she ever overcomes a fear of being arrested, but she overcomes it enough that she – um, is involved in this band book club. She meets friends. She even has a romance with um, another member. And she learns about, like, all of the reasons why they're involved and all the things that they're doing. Um, you know, they've got a friend who is, like, part-time working at a factory because he wants to start, like, a whisper network about unionization. And um, so it was very, very political. Um, but there was a really great line in here that, like, I just kind of wanted to, like, you know, write down on a note card and plaster everywhere. And it's, you learn a lot about history by figuring out what people wanted to hide. Mm. And that is spoken in the context of, you know, what is being hidden in Korea's history, um, which was quite tumultuous um, after, you know, colonization and World War II and all of that stuff. So this is really interesting. There's a lot of very great conversations about, like, you know, Shakespeare was accepted in the college classroom, but, you know, Shakespeare also was a very political writer um, who wrote his histories as a way to sort of stick it to the queen and yeah it just is really a great memoir about her college years 
and, you know, reading and literature. And also, like, I cannot imagine getting your education under these circumstances. Um, I think it really speaks to, like, a strong will and a passion for education and for knowledge. So it's, it's a very quick read. And it's all, you know, in black and white, but I highly recommend it. It's Band Book Club by Kim Hyung Suk. And it's also illustrated um, by Ko Hyung Ju and Ryan Estrada. I had talked about that for, like, YA books in protest, like protesting, yes. you know. And I had not, it was so interesting. I had not learned, I did not know about, like, the dictatorship in South Korea as a, you know, an American, I think if I'm hearing about a dictatorship in Korea, I'm thinking of North Korea. Yeah. Um. So it's, and it was just in the 80s. I mean, that's before I was born, but, but not by much. Not that long ago. So I'm just like, we don't learn anything in school. But I like, I like what you said about, like, what the book was teaching, which was, which is that nothing is apolitical. Yes. Nothing. And it's it's so interesting to hear people when they're like, oh, you know, I don't like to talk about politics or I'm not interested in politics. And I'm like, you're not interested in living your daily life, your rights. What? That isn't. Yeah. How does that track? I think it is a form of privilege if you don't recognize that your your daily existence and how you move throughout the world isn't some kind of political. Um, and, you know, nobody's trying to, like, point fingers and say, like, oh, well, you should feel bad about the fact that you don't think about that. But, like, yeah. it's important to realize these power structures and how you like what your role is in them and how like you benefit, but like also how you don't benefit and how it breeds inequality because... Yeah, just kind of going about your life not thinking about these things is how atrocities continue. Yes, well said. And that was a that was a great quote. Ah, such a good book. Yeah, it was a really great book. I, and that was the, the one that I read in like one sitting in my hammock. So it was really great. Yes, hammock reading. <laughs> Do we have time to mention a couple more? Yeah, let's do like one more each. Yes. All right. So I have The Fire Never Goes Out, a memoir and pictures by Noel Stevenson. If you're familiar with Noel, they did Nimona, Lumberjanes, yes. and stuff like that. They're accomplished as a graphic artist. So this is like the collection of like essays and like miniature comics and like a collection of different stuff and, you know, drawings and stuff like that, of course. And they just talk about basically their, like, experience with being an artist and also struggles with faith, with sexuality, and also some mental health issues. So sometimes the the art is, like, in grayscale, basically, and there's, like, a lot of space, and I feel like that kind of helps to sometimes, like, create a feeling of maybe isolation. And I feel like that helps with um, the idea of like, you know, suffering and mental illness, like by yourself, basically. Well, that's at least what I, how I interpreted it. It's different from their other work. It's not, doesn't have the bright colors. Like I said, it's grayscale or quite the humor. It's definitely more of a, of a more, what I say, impressionistic the drawing is not as clear. It's more, the drawing is more, more loose, I guess. 
And I feel like that lends to the overall feeling of like uncertainty. If that makes sense. Yeah. But it's a good, uh, like good behind the scenes look at an artist and their struggles and their emotional journey. And it has a good balance of like their success, their struggles and their, you know, constant fight to work on their mental health. So. Again, that is The Fire Never Goes Out by Noelle Stevenson. I have not read that one. It's on my list of, you know, a million books long to pick up and read. Of course. But a year ago, maybe more than that, um, they put out just like a short form sort of like memoir type um, comic about the process of getting top surgery. And it was really nicely done. So I would definitely read more nonfiction by or memoir by Noelle Stevenson. Yeah. Um, so the last one I want to talk about is kind of a newer book and it has a really wild premise. I'm going to try to like say it quickly and also not like talk about it too much because I think it's going to be one like if you hear the premise, you're going to be like, I have to go read that book. <laughs> um, it is Passport by um, Sophie Gluck. And it is the story of how she, as a teenager, well, as a kid, grew up always abroad. She's American. She's American family. Her, She knew that her dad worked for, like, an American entity, but she never clearly, clearly understood, like, what her father did. And so she grew up all over the world, um, usually going to, like, American schools in foreign countries and or English schools in foreign countries. And when she was a teenager, she stumbled upon some information that allowed her to put two and two together and realize that her parents worked for the CIA. <gasps> Yo! Yeah. <what>? yeah. <laughs> Plot twist! What is it? Right? A passport? <laughs> passport by Sophie Gluck. Um, oh my God. So, yeah, that was obviously like a huge, like, what? what? And then, like, she, But what's interesting about it is that she was like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, But then she wasn't immediately like, tell me everything. Like, she kind of tried to get her mom and her dad to, like, tell her a little bit more. But they were basically like, we are not going to talk about this with you. So it's kind of about less about, like, espionage and the drama of that. But, like, living in an unnamed foreign country that you could probably figure out by using context clues if you know how to Google and realizing that, like, (laughs) your parents have this big secret. They've always had this secret. And you're just, like, trying to get through high school and maybe realizing that, like, you like girls and, you know, all of this stuff. And, and, like, her sister has just, like, gone back to the U.S. for college and just really reckoning with like okay what does this mean like for me as like a person what does it mean about like for me as how I perceive my identity and how I perceive my family um so it's really like on one hand it's like this really sort of universal coming of age story but with like this truly wild sort of twist of like yeah but my parents worked for the CIA and now I can tell no one Coming of age, but spies on ice. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so, like, if you're going into this expecting, like, you know, spy shenanigans, like, this, that's not this. But, because it's more about the emotional sort of impact of learning this big secret. 
I was expecting spy shenanigans, tears. I'm glad you let me. I was about to be like, so wait, are they spies? So the spies? <laughs> spies. I know. Everybody, I think that's like maybe if, if you go into this book expecting spies, you will be disappointed. Yeah. But it is a really interesting book. I loved like the coming of age stuff. I love the mm-hmm. queer stuff. And one thing I did appreciate about this book was um, reading the author's note about how, like, there was actually a lot that she wanted to put into this book that she could not get published because, you know, she's vague about whether or not her parents, like, still work for the CIA. But basically, (laughs) um, the CIA had to approve of the publication of this book. Wow. Yeah. And there were a lot of um, things that they told her that she had to cut because she was... Yeah, yeah, and she was frustrated because she's like, but this is my personal history. But they were like, yeah, but if you put that out there, it could imperil certain things that we yeah. will not tell you about. And so she also kind of talked about, like, the struggle of, like, how do you tell your own story when you're a part of this, like, secret that you don't even know you're a yeah. part of? So I thought that was done really well and very interestingly. Um, and, you know, just pick this book up on the... The premise alone. So that's Passport by Sophie Gluck. And I, I feel like I kind of saved like the wildest one for last. But yes. Yeah. That was good. I appreciate it. <laughs> no problem. All right. So I think that kind of brings us up to time. Um, thank you so much for everyone for tuning in this week. You can leave us feedback about the show on Apple Podcasts to let us know how we're doing and help others find us. And you can also email us at heyyabookriot.com want reading suggestions if you have any questions for us or just general you know feedback want to say hey don't forget to visit bookriot.com for newsletters and more podcasts and all things bookish and thanks again to today's sponsors for helping make it possible Um, and thanks as always to our awesome audio editor jen singh you can follow me on twitter and instagram at at tears of price and how about you erica I'm on Twitter at Erica underscore easy E underscore. That's E-R-I-C-A. Excellent. Well, we will be back again in two weeks with another topic. All right. Happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.